Well, good morning and welcome to Thought Bubbles. We are looking at a series where we're saying you cannot trust your own brain all the time. And as you saw in that last clip, even though you can tell yourself, even watch the clip, have several people watching it say, that thing is inverted, and your mind can tell you one thing, but your eyes will totally lie to you and tell you something that's not true. You say, am I going crazy here? And in this series, we've been looking at a four-step process of how to find the crazy aspects of our life and begin to change those things and make changes to our lives. The four steps we've looked at is, number one, reflecting on your thoughts. What are those crazy thoughts, untrue thoughts, distorted thoughts that we've picked up over time that feel very true, they look very true, but they may not be true? How do we reflect? Then how do we capture them? Thoughts that have been plaguing us for years and capture them and really look at them and frisk them and and see what they brought into our life. We move from reflect to capture to replace. You can't not think about one thing. What's a new thought that could replace that old thought? That would then lead to new healthy feelings and healthy actions. And then today we're looking at the last step, which is renew. How do we walk out these renewed thoughts in a way that transforms marriages, transforms families? And I love this next song. This next song by Matchbox 20 says, you know, I feel crazy sometimes going through life. But what I'm discovering as I look at my thoughts and I look at my life is I've just got little aspects of my life that are unwell. And what would it be look like for all of us to bring some renewal, some truth and some health into some of the pockets of unwellness in our own hearts. Well, I have been spending the last week working on renewing my thoughts, and it has been a challenging week to do that. I have found more failure than I have found success. So hopefully as I share this next step of our, our process, I'll be doing it from not somebody who's solved it as much as somebody who's trying to figure it out. And I do like that idea of just being honest to say there's, there's spots in my life I feel crazy, there's some spots in my, my life I feel well, there's spots in my life I feel unwell, and how do we keep moving toward health? It's amazing to me, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, how hard it is for many of us to diagnose the unwell spots in our own life, and yet how easy it is to, to diagnose the unwell spots in everybody else's life. You know, so like, why is it so hard for us to miss what's broken in our own life, but we can spot everything in everybody else's life? Uh, I joked, if, half joked, if you hang out at any family reunion, whoever's not in the room will be diagnosed by everybody else. You know, ever since his elementary school closed when he was in sixth grade, he just really has had a bitterness he can never let go of. You know, I think her real issue was, I mean, ever since uh, World War II, it just seemed like she never had a good role model in her life, and, and that's why she just is sort of melancholy and, and isn't really encouraging. And what well, you know, the real issue is, uh, came home from Vietnam and never talks about it. It's just sort of got that room in the basement that they talk about stuff, but it's the PTSD, um, you know, really has affected their marriage in such a way, and I'm just not sure they really want to change or know how to even cope with that. Well, I think what happened with Tom is that his dad was really busy early in the career and didn't have time for him and didn't have a good role model to be a father or a grandfather. And I just think that still affects him today, right? Haven't you heard those kind of conversations? Haven't you had those kind of conversations where you're diagnosing everybody else's unwellness, but just know when you're not in the room, somebody's talking about your unwellness as well. And so we're looking at, it's not just arbitrary events that create the unwell spots in our life. It's actually how we think about things. And specifically, I want to look again at some different thoughts that affect how we feel and how we think. And how changing those thoughts might bring renewal into our relationship specifically. 
let's look at this one to begin. Uh, this thought, how would it play out in your life? She shouldn't feel that way. Well, I've had that thought before. So my, my wife is, next slide. Um, my wife is, is talking to me and, and she's trying to get understanding or empathy. And, and I know she wants that, but the predominant thought while she's talking is, she shouldn't feel that way. That's not true. That's not based on experience. That's not based on what really happened. And so instead of being able to connect or empathize or be a good listener, that thought, you shouldn't feel that way, though it never works, though it's never been helpful, 20, 22 years of marriage, that thought still affects my inability or ability to be the kind of husband I need to be. Or you're talking to your kids and, and they really need you to step into their world. And instead of being able to enter into what they're feeling or, or sensing, you're saying, i got to correct this, i got to correct this, i got to correct this. And you may need to correct it, but first you need to understand where they're coming from. Here's another one. He needs to validate my feelings. Now, the problem with the word validate is validate presumes you must say that what I feel is true. And people could disagree on, on that. That's different from a thought that says I want him to understand where I'm coming from. And so when you have two people, one, you shouldn't feel that way. Another person, you've got to validate that what I'm saying and thinking is exactly right. Boy, you've got a collision coming. But if we could renew our thoughts and say I want to meet this person where they are and I want them to understand even if they disagree you're going to have some hurdles go down. Renewal will begin to come into your life. Here's another one. If I was a better mom, my kids would behave all the time. Now, you see that on screen, and you're like, what a silly thought when it's on the screen. But I think if we're really honest, many of us define our worth, define our success, define a good day. I had a good day based on our kids' behavior. And, and if we want to bring renewal into our life, that thought might need to be, I hope my kids obey. I'm trying to be a good mom, but I honestly can't control other human beings. That might bring some freedom in your life. This is another one I talk to couples about uh, all the time, which is when you say, I know what you meant. No, you know what you heard and you know what you think you heard. But when you say, I know what you meant, it almost always sets up a conflict because the other person says, that's not what I meant. Yes, it is. How do you know what I meant? I know. And then a conflict occurs versus, hey, we might have had a misunderstanding. Here's what I heard. Could you clarify? Oh, he didn't deserve that promotion. He didn't deserve to get on it just because their family knows the coach. That's why they got out to be a, a starter this year. And those thoughts pr- produce resentment and envy and anger in our lives. I'll give you two more. When my wife complains, it means I'm not providing well enough. So what happens is all of a sudden any complaint, any concern that's brought into your relationship becomes a sign of your, your identity as a man. And so an, an added commotion or an added interference of identity is put into a conflict when it might just be, I want you to clean this or fix this or get the car checked out. But because your thought bubble is when a complaint comes, means I have an unhappy wife, therefore I have an unhappy husband or wife, and that means I'm not a good spouse, that just really can confuses everything versus, hey, there's a complaint. How can I help? What's going on? Did you have a bad day? Another distortion of thoughts, it has two extremes. On this side, it's, it's all my fault. What happened? It's all my fault. That's over-responsibility. And then there's the other side, way over here. It's not my fault at all. I didn't do anything. Not one part of this was my issue. I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have done it better. I couldn't have done anything to contribute to making it better. It was all somebody else's fault. Right? Both of those thoughts destroy relationships. Over-responsibility and under-responsibility. And so here's what we're going to propose today. If you think what you've always thought, you're going to get what you've always got. 
And whatever thought you've been identifying, if you think what you've always thought, you're going to get what you've always got. And haven't you been there? You're like, we've had this fight. This is, this is like year 20 of having this fight. I, I recognize this. You say this and I do that. And you say this and I do that. If you think what you've always thought, you're going to get what you've always got. It's just true. So we're going to get three switches today. And in those three switches, I am hoping that you're going to find what I'm finding in my own life. Freedom from patterns. Freedom from thoughts. New feelings of gratitude. Being able to focus on the things that really matter. Being able to find the reason behind why I do what I do and, and to bring that renewal into my life. Three switches. These are mentioned in Philippians. But switch number one is we need to learn how to switch from critiquing other people's behavior, which comes naturally, to critiquing my own thoughts. I'm not unhappy because of what you did or didn't do. I'm unhappy because of what I think about what you did or didn't do. And if our instinct is to critique other people, I'm not saying there's not a place for judgment, but I'm saying our instinct is to do that first and critique our thoughts last. What if we began to say, I want to begin this dialogue with my coworker, with my boss, with my friend, with my child, and I want to critique my thoughts rather than always focusing on their behavior. In Philippians, there's two friends who are fighting, Yodia and Syntek. And apparently the fight's got bad enough that Paul has to address it in the Bible. Imagine a fight in your neighborhood, a fight in your family that's so bad it got written in the Bible. Oh, my goodness. All people of all times are going to talk about that little spat we had back in, oh, my goodness, in Philippi. He says, so Paul has to call them out in a public Bible verse and say, hey, I want to implore two of you specifically, not there's some, some people fighting, no, Yodia and Syntec, I want to implore you in your relational conflict to critique your own thoughts. Right now you're doing good. Well, Yodia, if he hadn't, she hadn't done such and stuff. If Syntec hadn't done what he did, I don't even know which one's male or female here, honestly. Um, <laughs> instead of critiquing each other's behavior, which they're doing quite well, apparently, he says, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to look at your own thoughts and how you're bringing your thoughts into this conflict. He says, and here's how I want you to critique your thoughts. I want you to put some new thoughts, some renewing thoughts into your relationship, into the situation. And he gives them specifically thoughts in the next verse. I want you to think about in the situation, not what they did, how inappropriate it was, how ridiculous it was, how disrespectful it was. I want you to think, new thought, how could I love them? How can I love Yodia despite what he did or she did? How can I love Syntec despite our disagreement? How can I have mercy here? Now, what does mercy mean? Not giving people what they deserve. When you're focusing on somebody else's behavior, you're thinking, let me tell you what they deserve. I'll tell you exactly what they deserve. Mercy is... That's true. What if I gave them what they don't deserve? Oh, I don't want to do that. I know, but wouldn't that change how you feel? If, if I'm saying, how could I be merciful here? How could I be kind here? You'll fulfill joy. You'll have joy in your life because you're being like-minded. And there's that mindset again. How do you have the same love in a situation? How do I come to a situation and say, how do I make sure I'm doing this not out of selfish ambition, not out of deceit or conceit or arrogance, how can I make sure that in this situation, I'm looking out for the interests of the other person, not just myself? Where are they coming from? How they might have come to this conclusion? What would your life and your relationship be like if you began to integrate these kind of new thoughts into your life? Instead of going to the same old thoughts you've always thought and get what you've always got. I don't know if you saw an interview, I think it was in Sports Illustrated. Somebody sent it to me. Um, and it was just a great interview with Urban Meyer. And he described his journey of changing his thoughts toward God and the Bible over the last 15 years. 
What's amazing in this article is that he cites uh, in the beginning of the article all kinds of thoughts he had for most of his life. He married a psychologist, and he was not a big fan of the science of psychology. She was noticing he was getting increasingly unhealthy in his work patterns. He's like, you need a hobby, you need something replenishing. I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. I think you might need to see somebody for help. I don't need help, weak people need help. I'm a lone wolf. And she said, well, could you just cut maybe 30 minutes of watching film? Cut 30 minutes of watching film, that's going to affect my game. That's how I stay on the cutting edge, etc. As you read through that article in Sports Illustrated, here are specific thought bubbles he mentions he had for most of his career until something that happened 15 years ago. I don't have time, was his mantra. Toughen up. I'm fine. The answer was always, I'm fine. Even though everybody around him was saying, you're not eating well, you're, not, you're working too much. I can't let up, I can't let up. Just kept driving him into the ground. I'm a lone wolf. His wife would tell him he needed to get some help maybe or ask for help. Yeah, you should be strong enough to handle things yourself. In fact, he reflects back on the journey he's made in the last 15 years, and he said this. He said, I hate to admit it, but yeah, 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I would have been like, come on, man, toughen up. What the blank's wrong with you? You don't ask for help. Weak people ask for help. Men don't ask for help. But he sort of hit the wall. His marriage was starting to go in some shaky ways. His relationship with his kids were going in some shaky ways, and his health was going in some shaky ways. And so, now, famous pink slip, he gave himself a pink slip, and now is it framed in his office, where he decided to get new thoughts. These were thoughts he'd carried for years, new thoughts and new commitments he made to himself, to his marriage, and to his family. He gave himself a pink slip, and the pink slip is actually up here on the left-hand screen, uh, left-hand side of the screen, with these commitments. And these were the new thoughts he committed to ten years ago. My family will always come first. I will take care of myself and maintain good health. I will not go more than nine hours a day at the office. I will trust God's plan and not be over-anxious. See, what he realized is a lot of what was making him a workaholic, sure, there's pressure. Sure, he had a high-pressure job. Everybody's watching. But he actually was driving himself because he thought it was all up to him. That he said, no, I'm going to do the best I can with nine hours a day, and I'm going to trust God's plan in this situation and not be over-anxious. And look at this commitment. I will eat three meals a day. And that was the commitment he made. New thoughts, new feelings, new patterns. And as you know, the team has continued to do well um, as he has committed to these things. doesn't mean there aren't up years and down years. doesn't mean that there aren't bad moments. But he's saying, I'm such a healthier person. And he and his wife have, have uh, one, see, maybe psychology isn't quite as crazy as he thought it was, and they're beginning to connect in new ways as well. In fact, I love what he says, because he's doing exactly what we've described in the series, taking Bible verses, put it on post-it notes, and using it in your own life. Look how he says it. It's fascinating. Behind him, in this article, are pictures of his family, his Bible, a notebook, a couple of quotes and frames, and a framed paragraph entitled, My Ultimate Mission. And back there is a stack of a dozen of a dozen deep of sticky notes with a few Bible verses, each scribbled on them. Above the shelf, high up on the wall, above everything else is a pink contract. He gets a text every morning from a friend, a scripture, which is the verse he uses to begin his daily Bible reading. He says, if I don't get that every morning, I'm just a mess. So here's somebody in real time, real profession, seeing how these new thoughts are transforming his life, transforming his career, and transforming his marriages. So that's our first switch. Instead of critiquing other people's behavior, we, we critique our own thoughts. The second switch is learning how to meditate on what is good versus what is bad. 
Now, this is amazing to me, because when, when people are dating, you see this when your kids come home from college and they're dating somebody, you say, hey, how's your new boyfriend? How's your new girlfriend? She's wonderful. She's perfect. No issues, no problems. I mean, just... Uh, and here's what happens when you're dating. One, serotonin is, you know, your brain's soaked in serotonin, so that's part of the problem. But, but, but what happens is, from my perspective, is when you're dating, you filter out all the bad and you focus on the good, don't you? And because of that, you, you feel this euphoric sense of being in love. But often what happens after you've been married a while, you focus and filter out the good, and you all day long think about, critique on, meditate on what's bad. Oh, it's drives me crazy the way it's still going on, never going to change, right? And you wonder why you don't have feelings of peace or harmony or joy or love toward your spouse. All day long, you have this inner critic criticizing your spouse. And that is why this switch is so powerful. It gets you back to your dating years and what you're doing in your thoughts, focusing on what's good and letting that come to life instead of focusing on what's bad. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, this isn't fantasy thinking, they've got to be true, But focus on things that are true. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, if there are things of good report, if there's any virtue, there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. It's an interesting word he uses there, meditate. Literally roll that around in your head. Instead of rolling around ungratitude, rolling around discontentment all day long, rolling around criticism of your spouse and their habits all day long or your kids, what if all day long you meditate or rolled around in your head the things that are good, the things that are praiseworthy. Talk about renewal. What would happen if for a week you tried to catch your spouse with all the things you like about him? What would happen in a workplace if all day long you go around to all the employees and say to them, man, I really appreciate about you. I like the way you, you strategize that week. Thanks for taking the risk and bringing that up in that meeting. You know, I'm not really good at being more vulnerable, but I appreciate how vulnerable you were in that situation. And you're such an encourager. You're really inspiring me to be more of an encourager. Wouldn't you want to work in a place like that? Now, I'm not saying you're making up stuff. I'm talking about your, 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 the stuff that was already there you're focusing on. What would happen in, in your kid's life if, if instead of always hammering on what they're doing wrong, and again, that needs to be addressed, but what if you, you tried for a week to catch them with good reports? Man, I'm proud of you for this. I'm really glad to see that. Wow, I'm really seeing you develop in these areas. I'm so proud to be your dad. See, here's the thing. Fear, meditate on something, can bring it to life. And this works to our advantage and to our disadvantage. When you meditate on a bad thing, on an illusion, on a lie, on an untruth, some little truth in your life, you can just you meditate on it, stare at it, and it brings it to life. And this little bitty fear becomes monstrous. Worry, round and around and around, and the worry takes over your life. Anxiety. So, for example, we've had this, uh, this T-Rex sitting here the whole service. And I'm telling you right now, this is paper. There's not a robot. This is, there's no mechanics. It's just a piece of paper. But I want you to know that fear, you can stare at a situation, a circumstance in your life, and it can literally come to life as you fixate on it. Let me show you the video behind me. Here's what happens. You're looking at this thing, and you're saying, "That's okay, it's not alive, it's not alive. All right, there it is. It's not alive. And you start moving. You're like, oh. It's looking at me. It's look. Oh my! It's come. Oh, don't. Who's, paranoia. Everybody's out to get me at the company. Oh my goodness! What's going on here? And you start fixing it. I'm going to run over here. And you start walking over here. And you're like, 
Why is everybody talking about me? Why is everybody staring at me? That is really like, oh, oh, it's not alive. It's just paper. Okay, it's just paper. There's nothing to be concerned about here. Stop worrying. Stop being so fearful. It's just paper. It's just paper. Oh, my goodness, it's not paper. It's staring at me. There's something going on here. This is very disturbing. I'm very disturbed by what's happening. Oh, my goodness, it's just paper. What am I talking about? There's nothing really to be concerned about. It's, it's just an illusion. And that's actually what fear stands for. Fear stands for false expectations. Oh my goodness, it's back! Oh, it's back! Fear, false expectations appearing real. That's what happens. I've had one of those this week. So one of the challenges of being a special needs dad is you have autism with all of the joy of not caring what anybody thinks. And so the freedom and the joy and the innocence is awesome to have a daily dose of. But you have the challenges of managing autism. Then you have the, not just autism, but you have the, oh my goodness, we've got to go clean the carpet in the basement again because of what he did, and I've got to build this wall to keep him safe because he's you know, possibly you know, hurt again. But then you have the perception of the neighborhood as you're trying to manage and keep your son alive. So I called my wife last Friday, and she's like, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, our neighbors turned us into DCFS. For what? For not feeding our son, for protecting him with the fence, and for three other things. I'm like, oh. So immediately I got thought bubbles. Oh my goodness, my reputation. Are people going to find out? Thank goodness nobody's found out about this. So don't tell anybody. <laughs> and, uh, but just, oh, and like you're already managing all this other stuff, and now you're managing the perception of it. And I tell you, just like this, now every time any of my neighbors come out of their house and are just having a conversation, I think they're talking about me, right? Like all week long, it's like, oh my goodness, these thoughts. It's like everybody's staring at me. Everybody's thinking I'm a bad parent. Could I pass the report? DCFS said we're okay. They said there's nothing to see here. I was amazed at how those thoughts and people's approval is so important to me and and trying to be a good neighbor and trying to be kind and, and liking people. I was just amazed at how this was able to just bring untruths to life and bringing lies to life in my life. But in the same way that fear can bring untruths to life, faith can bring good things to life. And Paul's saying if you fixate on something good, you can also bring something to life. So, again, instead of showing you a video of somebody else's uh, T-Rex, I want to turn on my camera here. And let's actually show you this T-Rex. And faith has this ability to bring truths to life. Things that have already been sitting in your life, areas of gratitude in your life, things that are already going well in your life. And you say, boy, it was there the whole time. But now as I begin to fixate, I notice, wow, God is watching over me. I don't have to take care of everything because God's in control and God's watching. And I move around in my life and like, and it brings these truths to life. And all of a sudden, things that I was grateful for before, I'm beginning to focus on. And that gratitude becomes alive in my life. That peace becomes alive in my life. That joy comes alive in my life. And something that was just stationary in the corner of your life, you're not making up something that wasn't there, but by fixating on that thing that was there, it begins to come alive, and you're finding more joy and more peace, more self-control, as you're focusing things that are true. And that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to know that in the same way fear can bring untruths to life, faith can bring good things, noble things, true things, and put them back and make them true in your life as well. Our third switch and final switch. Instead of focusing on what's bad all the time, in a culture where every news story and every TV show is focused on bad, what if we were people who made an incredible switch to focus on what is good? And then the third switch, is, and this is a, such a key one, is we switch from a confirmation bias 
to a humility bias. New thoughts. We live in a culture and we have a natural instinct to only listen to things that confirm our biases. Somebody says, you're great. That's good feedback. <laughs> you can be defensive. Oh, you're, you're too disrespectful. You're insensitive. You've got a real, you having a bad day? Did you get up on the wrong side of the coffin? You filter out things that you don't already confirm and you look for feedback that confirms the things you already know. Right? This is what happens. Well, this is so tragic because that keeps us from growing as, 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 as human beings. It helps us growing as parents. It helps us from growing in, in our marriages. And it certainly stops us from actually growing in our careers. Because if there are things that are true about us that we're filtering out because of a confirmation bias, we can actually be limiting our ability to succeed. So Paul here mentions something really key, that you can switch from a, from a confirmation bias, only listening to feedback that confirms what you already think, to a humility bias, which is I'm going to be humble enough to say, what can I learn here? What might be true here that I need to incorporate in my life? Oh, that stings. Oh, I hope that's not true. Oh, but it might be true. And only humility allows you to do that. More than that, because the heart is so defensive that you need an example, you need a living example, a reality of humility in your life in order to do this. It's not just about trying harder. And so Paul says, here's how you do this. Here's how you move in this direction. Let this mind, look at the mindset again, let this mind be in you. The same one that was in Christ Jesus. Who, being in their very form of God, I've got the rights, I've got the demands, I can make people do whatever I want. Jesus Christ, being God himself, and how did God act? What kind of mindset did God have? He didn't consider robbery to be equal with God. He didn't demand his rights. Instead, he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He went from a multidimensional being to a three-dimensional being, to live in a three-dimensional world. Imagine the change that incorporated. He took the form of a, so form of a bondservant. He, he came to earth and experienced betrayal and pain. He came in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. He, he not only became a man, but he humbled himself to die for people who, who spit upon him and lied about him and, and spread rumors about him. And he didn't come to planet Earth in the year 2016 where he'd get lethal injection and die humanely. He came during the Roman times when he was brutally beaten through crucifixion so he could show us how willing he was to be humbled for the sake of others. Now, when that becomes not just a theory, not just a concept, but you go, oh my goodness, someone did that for me? That's, what, that's when you go from being religious or spiritual to becoming a Christian. You go, that's pretty powerful if somebody did that. I now believe he did that for me. If God humbled himself for me, how can I not humble myself for others? If God went from multidimensional being to three-dimensional being who allowed himself to die for me, how can I not be open to a little bit of criticism here in this conversation? Because whatever I'm finding out in the 360 review is probably something that's true that Jesus had to die for. That's sort of why he died, because I'm worse than I think I am. But I'm also more loved than I ever thought I was, because he would do this for me. Let me give you five real practical thought bubbles that come right out of this passage. Thought bubble number one we see here. He did not consider it robbery to humble himself. 
Jesus' thought bubble when he came to earth was, I am not above, as God, doing anything for the needs of others. What if you walk through your life this week with that thought, I'm not above anything if I can help the needs of others? Versus, I just took out the trash. I think it's your turn to get up with the kids. What if your mindset for a whole week was, I'm not above, I don't consider it robbery, I'm not above anything to help the needs of my son, my daughter, my boss, my organization. Wouldn't that change everything? Here's another one from this passage. I am willing to lose my rights if it brings reconciliation. See, Jesus could have said, do you know who I am? Look at my reputation. I'm God here on earth for crying out loud. Let's, let's have some respect. Get me off this cross. Don't be spitting on me. Put that whip down. But Jesus' mindset, the mindset was, I'm willing to lose my rights if it brings reconciliation, and I'm willing to die so I can bring reconciliation amongst people. And what if in every time you have a fight, it's just saying, I'm right, she's wrong, I'm right, she's wrong, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, wrong, wrong, wrong. He said, I'm willing to give up my rights. I may be right and they may be wrong, but I'm willing to reconcile and make that more important than my rights. Wouldn't that transform everything? Here's another. Look at how Jesus was willing to adapt. Again, you say, well, I don't know if I believe that, but just propose this is true for a second. Multidimensional God becomes a human being. You talk about adaptation in your marriage. What if that was your mindset? I am willing to adapt to my boss, to my colleague, to that department, to my spouse, even when they're wrong. See, Jesus knew we were wrong. It's not like, well, if they get their act together, then I'll adapt. He goes, I know they're wrong, and therefore I'm adapting because they're wrong. Versus we say, well, until they get it right, I'm not going to adapt. What if your mindset was, I'm willing to adapt, especially when you're wrong? I'm going to be a better listener. I'm going to show you respect when you don't deserve it. I'm going to show you unconditional love when you least deserve it. Here's another. He humbled himself. God went first. I went first last time to apologize. I was the last person to say sorry. But you know, if God went first for me, I want to go first in the situation. Even though it's not my turn, even though I always go first, I'm going to go first because someone went first for me. And here's one last one from the passage. This is sort of black diamond level, so you're like, I can't do this one. What if every situation you came to, like Jesus, you said, this mind is in me. This is a great chance for me to die to what I prefer. Now, that thought has probably never come into your mind. You're coming face-to-face in the conflict. This is not your preference. You don't want to go to that movie. You don't want to do it that way. You don't want to organize the shelves in that way. You don't want to use that system. And you're thinking, that's not what I prefer. It's not what I want. We're not going to do that. What if instead you say, this is a great opportunity for me to die to what I prefer? I'm going to grow through this. I'm going to become more selfless through this. I'm going to become more the person that God wants me to be through this. I told you it's black diamond stuff. But what might your life be like for one week if you had this thought? This opportunity is a chance for me to die to what I prefer and to become more the person God wants me to be. That's the mindset that Jesus had for us. I had this uh, funny thing happen uh, about a month ago. I uh, <laughs> went out to East Fork Lakes. We do a lot of jet skiing out there. And so I was pulling my son on, on the wakeboard. As we're pulling along, I look out and I'm fixating on something. And it was coming to life. It looks like a bunch of sticks out there because the river had come into the lake that day. And in the middle of the sticks, I see the fin come out of the water. 
And I'm skiing along, I'm like, that is not a shark. There are not sharks in East Fork Lake. And I'm getting closer, I'm like, that's not a stick. Dun, 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 dun. What is that? And then, as I sort of came a little bit different angle, whoom, there's now two fins. Dun, 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 dun. And they're about this far apart, and like, it's a double fin shark. And as I'm skiing along, watching Javen behind me, and, and Quinn's with us, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I get over closer, and I'm like, that's not a shark. It's a baby deer. His head was like this big, and the fins were his little bitty ears swimming in the middle of East Fork Lake, a hundred yards in both directions. And, and, and one second, that circumstance was fear, anxiety, I'm crazy, I'm unwell, oh my goodness, what am I thinking? The next moment, I'm like, compassion, oh, we got to save this thing. My, my son, Javen's like, we got to save the deer. And so we sort of coax, tried to coax the deer back to, to shore. Well, as we uh, finished jet skiing, I was wakeboarding for a while, my son's driving me, and we go to head back to uh, where we parked the other jet ski. And so I gave my son the signal, so I spin around and, and I could slide you know, on the water without falling back in right over to the jet ski. Well, some fishermen decided to park right next to where we put our jet ski. Well, I didn't mean to be quite as close as we were, but Javen cut a little too tight and I let go a little too loose. And basically, I go whipping past him about 30 feet from his boat. He was not impressed. Uh, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, my jet ski's right there. Why would you park here? He's still not impressed. And I mean, we're talking, foul, filtered, foul, filtered, foul, foul, filtered, derp, derp, derp. And I'm swimming over to them, getting on my jet ski, I'm sort of putting along, and, I, and I'm saying what all uh, boat, uh, power boaters say is, what's wrong with those fishermen? And, 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 and he's doing the same thing that all fishermen are doing. What's wrong with those power boat people? And, and, but I'm getting to hear it all. And I'm thinking, this guy's got such a bad attitude. Oh, my goodness, he's so wrong. And as I'm on the jet ski, I'm like, oh, I need to humble myself. Let's not look at this from my perspective, but his. I really was out of line. We really were too close. We could have done this a lot of different ways. I hate these thoughts. I hate these thoughts. Well, he's still cussing me out. I mean, it's just like keeps coming. Goes, Whoa, it's just like poetry. It's like, oh, my goodness. It's like he's writing a sonnet. It's amazing. Well, at one moment, he takes a breath. Foul, filth and foul. <gasps> Sir, what? I want to apologize. You are right. I was in the wrong here. I gave the wrong signal. He took a little too close. I you cut off too close. I am so we are totally in the wrong here, and I'm in the wrong here, and I want to I want to own that and ask for your forgiveness. His jaw drops. He so you've never seen somebody apologize before. It's like you know all his uh, cussing out seemed to work. He's like an effective method. He wrote down to himself, um, <laughs> and uh, and I tell you the whole demeanor changed. But it required me to have humility at the moment I least wanted to. And I was so glad that that thought came in and that I could be a witness, not somebody who's perfect, but somebody who's trying to do the next right thing. You see, if you think what you've always thought, you're going to get what you've always got. And if you want to get something different in your relationships, it starts with thinking new thoughts. Switching from critiquing others' behavior to critiquing your own thoughts, from meditating on what's bad to meditating on what's good, from a confirmation bias to a humility bias. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. As you examine your thoughts for the next week, I want you to ask one question. Is this a whatever thought or a whatever thought? Actually, that's not very helpful at all. I don't know what that means. Whatever thoughts, you let whatever into your mind. Whatever shame, whatever thought, whatever drivenness, whatever comes in your life. Versus, look at that list he gave us, Paul did, of whatever thoughts. Whatever thoughts are lies about me, lies about others, lies about God, things that are unjust or degrading or impure and objectifying, you just let any old thought come and just dump in your head. They're ugly, they provoke, promote conflict amongst people, 
they're negative and they're destructive. Those are whatever thoughts. But Paul says, I want you to focus on whatever thoughts, whatever is true about me, others, and God. Whatever things are noble, which means just or uplifting, whatever are pure, pure, clean, honoring thoughts, whatever is of good report, lovely. I love the word lovely. literally means whatever promotes peace in the situation. Whatever is positive or constructive, which is the idea of good report. See the whatever, 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 whatever. Maybe you want to write that verse down. It comes from Philippians uh, chapter, you can just read two, two, three, and four. It's three pages of the Bible. And just say, am I meditating on whatever thoughts in my life? As you're thinking about that, maybe you want to use the post-it note that we gave you in your program to write down, what are my whatever thoughts? Maybe you want to pick one from that list. In fact, let's go ahead and leave that up even when we're doing the interview, just so people can write those down if they want to write any of those uh, pieces on the thing. And while we're doing that, I'd like you to hear a real-time story of somebody who's in that process of renewal himself. So can we give a, a warm horizon welcome uh, to my friend Ron. Ron, come on up. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you being with us. Now tell me, in this whole process of thought bubbles, what are some of the ways in which uh, God has uh, been working uh, his truths in your life in the last few years? Well, I believe my story begins in uh, the beginning of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, 2014 was the, uh, what I refer to as the year of endless struggles for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was met with a divorce early in 2014, which launched me into being a, a single dad uh, overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to kind of learn how... Uh, to adjust to that and discover what my son needed in that and what I needed to do uh, to be a good single dad. Um, and it was a tough year for us. A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of guilt set in. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things I wasn't dealing with at the time because of working a full-time job and taking care of him, there wasn't much time even to sleep. Sure. <laughs> um, I think the turning point for us um, was in November when I lost my younger brother to an accidental overdose. Uh, I knew at that point something had to be changed. I had to do something uh, to put my son and I back on track spiritually. Yeah. Um, through an invitation, we were um, invited to Horizon. Um, wasn't completely sure what, what, I, what I was going to find here or what I was uh, going to discover, but uh, we started with the 10 o'clock service, and um, uh, after just a few short weeks, I knew I wanted more because I was starting to connect again. Um, so I, I started to get into the 4.30 service on uh, Saturday. And each service is uh, uniquely different for me, um, and I enjoy both services. Uh, the 10 o'clock service offers a lot of applications wrapped in spiritual truths and scripture, uh, which I can apply in my personal life and my life as being a dad and my professional life. Uh, the 4.30 offers uh, that deeper dig on scripture, which I enjoy. Hmm. Uh, but the real enjoyment in the 4.30 service that I get is uh, the worship time. Because hmm. uh, I can come in here with all my fear and all my anxiety and all my problems from that week. Um, and when Natalie and the, and the band take the stage here, um, I, start to un, I start to unravel. Yeah. I start to come, I come apart, and the fear and the guilt and the, and the problems that I have leave, and I'm filled quickly with hope and freedom. Music does that. You know, we're a lot of times we're carrying these thoughts we didn't even realize we have. And when somebody sings, so for those of you who like singing, we do you know, about 15, 20 minutes of worship time at our uh, Saturday at 4.30 and our Sunday at 8.50. And it, we, we sort of sing truths that replace it. And so for some people, it's like, oh, I don't want to sing much songs. But really, when you meditate on those words, which singing does, it actually helps you to replace some of those fearful thoughts with new thoughts about God and his care for you and concern. Well, when we're singing songs like Good, Good Father and No Longer Slaves, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the truth is there. Yeah. All you've got to do is tap into it. 
And in the midst of that anxiety, you found that uh, in trusting God, so a truth that came to life is that God was already working in the background and preparing you for this difficulty. So tell us about how God was working, how your faith increased as you began to see ways he was preparing you or cared for you in the midst of the difficulty. Yeah. Um, I love the, this part of the story. This is my favorite part of the story, like, I, like I've said before. Um, uh, I've got my best laid plans, and, and when God messes up my best laid plans, uh, he often makes them better. Um, I thought I was meant for a life of public service. I got out of high school and went right into firefighting. I served several years as a firefighter, left that, went into law enforcement, uh, spent several years as a police officer. Um, through a layoff in 2012, um, it left me looking. I had a young family. I knew I, knew I needed to get back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and through a few connections, uh, I had met the director of distribution for uh, Crater's Ice Cream. Um, and I was seeking out any type of job I could get, and there was nothing available at the time. But just a few weeks later, he called me back, and uh, he had a, uh, a management position open and asked mm-hmm. if I'd be interested. Uh, the long story short is about three months and seven interviews later, I was offered the job, mm-hmm. uh, which has been nothing but just a pure blessing all the way through. Um, and how is that specifically helping you with this transition that's coming in a way that you sense God you know, yeah. up for you? So, like I said, my best laid plans, I, I thought I knew what I wanted for my life, and God made a very... Uh, very big change uh, to take me from the public sector into the private sector, and I wasn't sure why. And what is about eight months later, um, when I went through my divorce and I became the single dad, is when I understand what was going on. Um, my hours with, with my job mirror my son's school hours, and my income is such that I don't have to work two jobs, um, that I can take care of him adequately with mm. what has been provided for me. Mm. Um, it's just amazing how uh, months ahead of time, God is doing battle for me. He's looking out ahead and he's saying, we need to make some changes here because you're about to go through a storm. You're about Mm -hmm. to go through something and I need need to make some changes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was was pretty great after the smoke had cleared that I was able to recognize that. And are there any, like we've been asking people every week to write down a specific verse or, or a phrase that they want to focus on. Are there any verses that have been very helpful for you to keep in your mind and your thought bubbles as you've uh, sort of been, been walking through these, these different challenges? Um, I do. I have, uh, actually I had one, now I have two uh, uh-huh. that I'm kind of focusing on. Um, the first one is Psalm 139. Um, it's a rather lengthy chapter, but um, it talks about how he searches me and he knows me. He knows when I sit and when I rise. Um, he perceives my thoughts from afar. Uh, he's familiar with all of my ways. Um, you drop down a little further. Verse 14 talks about um, how I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and then down here at the end of the chapter is, is my favorite part. Um, it talks about how precious are his thoughts about me. Oh, wow. And how vast is the sum of them. And if we recount them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Mm. And what's fascinating for me is we can take the Most High God, the creator of the universe, and he's interested in me like that. He wants an intimate relationship with me hmm. um, like that. And all I've got to do is reach out and take it. Wow. So when you have anxious thoughts, you can replace those with those very thoughts that you've, you know, And that eliminates the fear. That eliminates wow. anxiety. And, and, and we got time. What's your other one? So okay, in, great. In case we're um, all taking notes, we're going to steal your, <laughs> steal your verses. What's right. another one of yours? Um, my other one is John 14. Um, and it simply states that, uh, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Uh, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Mm. Uh, that where I am, you may be also. Mm. And that, that's the promise for me. That's my ticket out of here. Mm. Um, often I go through my week or I go through a month and I don't feel adjusted and I don't feel like I'm 
things don't make sense a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I firmly believe that's because I'm not home yet. Yeah. Um, when you're not of this world, it's, it's hard to become adjusted. It's hard to get comfortable with things. Sure. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, if you've accomplished all your goals in life and you're still not happy, maybe you're made for another world. Yeah. And I just think that's so true. So it's not often about I'm going through bad times and need God. It's I've accomplished all the good things and I realize my, my, my heart is deeper than I imagined. That's awesome. Well, let me pray for, for Ron, and uh, let me pray for each one of us that, that this will be a process. We've got one more week of this series that God would continue to renew your relationships and renew your life like ours. Father, we just ask that you would help us to find out what's true, how you feel toward us, toward others, toward the world. God, that you would prepare us to be the people that we want to be, that we've been designed to be, and that we hope to be. And God, that you would uh, use this process of focusing on the whatever thoughts that you've given us to transform us from the inside out. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank Ron for his uh, interview today? Ron, awesome, man. You did it. Well done. Well, thank you, uh, everyone, for being here today. Uh, We appreciate it. We have one more week in Thought Bubbles. And so, again, continue to use your brain and your post-it notes to write those verses down, and we'll finish the series up next week. And then you're not going to want to miss our series, Fine Wine, that starts after that. Thanks for being here. If you came prepared to give us some offering boxes. If you're new to the church, we'd love to say hi. The third door on your left, uh, we'd love to say hi with some um, visitors there or just any questions you have. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.